you know what you want, then you know when you're failing. If you don't allow yourself to know what you want, you can keep that foggy. Um, if you don't set out the conditions for your success, then you can avoid your responsibility because, again, that's not clear. And the problem with wanting something is that in all probability, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to make sacrifices. And it's certainly possible that you want to avoid that. Um, you, you, you might be afraid to make it clear because other people could deny it to you too, which is something I write about a fair bit in that chapter. Um, the problem is, and, and failing to make any of that clear protects you right now, but it's really hard on you over the medium to long term, because if you don't make it clear to yourself what you want or to other people, the probability that you're just going to stumble into it is pretty low. And, and you can put that off indefinitely day after day, but the problem with that is that you age while you're doing that and there's a, obviously a price to be paid for that so that chapter that's chapter three do not hide things in the fog mm -hmm. i mean it's a it's a warning about failing to pay attention you know knowledge emerges in a very strange way it it emerges obviously when we learn something we started out by not knowing it and so what that means is that knowledge goes through a transformation process from being absolutely not there to being explicit and fully detailed. And one step of that process is emotion. And so, for example, you might find yourself frustrated, disappointed about the events of the day, but be unable to exactly specify why. That's extremely common. You know, you go home to your partner and you'd be in a bad mood and, you know, you'll snap at them for something and they'll say, well, what's up with you? And you'll say, well, nothing. You're just being annoying when it's perfectly clear to both of you that there is actually something up with you. And then that disappointment and frustration, anger and sadness, let's say, or anxiety is a sign that something isn't right. But it isn't like, it isn't, necessarily that you're repressing knowledge of what's not right it's that you just you actually don't know mm. and the emotion is the first step in the process by which that knowledge emerges and you might have to sit and think and talk to your partner or to a friend for god only knows how long before you're actually going to put your finger on what it is that you're upset about and it could be very far removed from whatever happened to trigger you in the moment and so that's the fog and you can keep things in the fog just by not doing that it's really easy it's no dip more difficult than just sitting there doing nothing because creating knowledge is active and difficult the best advice that you can really give to people who are young is that unless you have very good reason not to you should do what all people have always done and so what does that mean? I, I, when I see my clinical clients, although I'm not practicing anymore, when I saw my clinical clients, I would evaluate their lives across a number of dimensions. Um, did, were, were they immersed in a network of friendships? Did they have a family? And that could be their family of birth, but also the family that they've produced, their own husband or wife and children, um, if they were of an age where that was appropriate. Did they have a career or at least a job? And was their job productive and um, matched well with their abilities and their ambitions? Were they educated to the extent that their intelligence and curiosity might demand? Um, were they in reasonable physical and mental health? 
independent of those other areas, all of those things need to be established. And you don't want to question them so much that you don't establish them. You might think of yourself as a rebel and someone who's particularly unique. And it's also, it's also possible that you are unique in one or more ways. But, but fundamentally speaking, if you don't do what everyone else does, then the probability that you're abdicating your responsibility and that you will miss out on something important is extremely high. So, you know, our culture, virtually every movie that's made for children now, you see this coming out of the Disney studios constantly, always concentrates on the special child who's got abilities that no other child has and is being crushed by society into being, um, you know, unpleasantly normal. And, and, and there is a fair bit of crushing that goes along with being socialized because part of being socialized is to become like everyone else. But you don't want to um, underestimate the benefit of that. It's, it's very, very difficult to tread your own path. And you're only going to be able to do that in a limited number of areas. You blow apart the social routines. Um, you'll find yourself out there in a domain of chaos that will overwhelm you. And that's not pleasant. You do not want that. Let's say you don't know what to do. Well, maybe you're high in openness and so you're pulled in all sorts of directions or maybe you're low in conscientiousness or you're confused because you're anxious or you haven't had any direction, you haven't had good mentoring, etc., etc. There's lots of reasons. Well, I would say pick something, right? Pick something, um, a nameable goal and then try to implement it. And what will happen is you'll learn a lot by trying to implement it. And one of the things you might learn is what the, a, a slightly better goal might be. You know, because if you try something diligently and you succeed or you fail, um, you're going to learn from the, the effort expended in the detailed implementation of the goal. It's going to inform you. It'll also transform you physiologically. It does that at a very basic level, neurophysiological level you will be slightly different as a consequence of the attempt. And what that'll mean is that the next goal you pick will be a little more suited to you. And so it's this kind of pathway, right? It's like maybe the goal you should be attaining is here, but you don't know that because you're clueless. And so you aim there. Well, it's better than there. And it's not nothing. It's not cessation of movement. And you know, if, you, if you're supposed to go there and you go here, but you walk diligently towards it, you're a little closer once you get to here than you were here. And it's this oscillating self-corrective process that leads you to the final star. And you have to be willing to engage in erroneous experimentation to, to manage that, but it is a self-correcting process. And so one of the things I always talk to my clients about is, well, well let's try something. You know, and, and, and we'll reserve to ourselves the right to alter our trajectory. And then I would use as a corrective there because you might say, well, how do you know when you're not just giving up, right? Instead of thinking maybe you need a different goal. And I would say, well, you can, if you're really concerned about your proclivity for self-deception, you can enter into a contract with yourself that you won't replace any goal you've set with a goal that's easier. And so you can switch your goal, but it has to be a little harder so that you check yourself against that tendency to withdraw and avoid and be self-deceptive. That works like a charm. And if you do that with some degree of diligence, your goals will get better and more attainable and you'll get happier too because 
You don't experience happiness except in relationship to a goal. And that's really worth knowing. You know, and that's another thing to think about too. If your life is meaningless, well, you're not pursuing a valued goal. I mean, you might be depressed too. And sometimes that can be like an illness, you know, something that is really wrong with you. But a good rule of thumb is that if you find no joy in life, there's a very low probability that you're pursuing a goal that you regard intrinsically, like in the depths of your temperament, as worthwhile. And that's technically true because we do, in fact, experience most of the positive emotion, let's say, that's associated with, with, uh, with emotions like joy. We experience that in relationship to a goal. So, well, then you want to find a goal that regulates your negative emotion and that brings you a certain amount of positive emotion and that expands your competence as you pursue it. And you will experience that as meaningful. That's really what meaning signals. Meaning signals you're doing all those things. You say, well, that's not real. It's like, don't listen to the semantic chatterbox so much, right? There's levels of you that are far wiser than that. And you can watch what happens to you instead of noticing what you think. You really are your only comparison group, especially as you get older, because your life is so idiosyncratic and peculiar that any compare. I mean, look, you have to care what other people think. It's stupid to think otherwise because you have to be social and you have to be aware of what other people are doing and all of that. So. It's, this is psychopathic individual individuality, but it is genuinely true that no one has your set of opportunities and limitations. And so the, the, the comparison just isn't real. It can't be sufficiently multidimensional, you know, because maybe you see someone who's rich. I've dealt with, I've, I've met many people who are very, very rich. And you can look at their lives and they have these huge houses and material plenty, but and they're shielded from many catastrophes that would hit someone without those resources harder. But their lives are still full of exactly the same troubles that characterize human life in general. And so you, you compare yourself on one dimension. You don't see, well, the person's worked 80 hours a week for 40 years and it's blown all his relationships out of the water. It's like, yes, he's rich, but he's also old now. You know, he's 60. And one of the best predictors of wealth is age. You know, really, do you want to be young and poor or old and rich? It's like, I'd pick young and poor because you can't buy youth. And so, and, and that's something that's worth considering, but you don't know what burdens the people you're jealous of are carrying. So leave it be. It's not, it's not helpful to you to, to, to be envious.
Toyota Thon is on. So stop in and get a great deal on a sporty new Camry or stylish Corolla, both with available all-wheel drive. Find out more at buyatoyota.com. Hurry, Toyota Thon ends January 2nd. Toyota, let's go places. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, an infant formula company on a mission to get a lot closer to the most super superfood on the planet, breast milk. Our patented protein blend has more of the important and most abundant proteins actually found in breast milk. We're the first and only US-made formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk, not skim. We even conducted the largest clinical trial by a new infant formula company in a quarter century with clinically proven benefits like easier digestion, less spit up and softer poops versus a leading infant formula. And we make our own formula in the USA and our very own factories in Iowa, Oregon and Pennsylvania. Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.